We are in a journey through the book of Philippians, a message series that we've titled Life Poured Out. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up right where Lee Hudson left off last week, and I've titled this sermon, One Life to Live. One Life to Live. Now, two weeks ago, I made, I made this statement. I said, the church is the evidence of the heart of Christ. His outward work, the open display of his heart to the world. God wants to reveal Jesus to the world through us, to the world around us. So how does this work? It works through the way that we live our lives. That's how we model Christ in this world. That's how we model life in Christ to those around us in the world around us. By the way, we live our lives. Today, I want to give you several examples of people who modeled life in Christ through unselfish, sacrificial service to others, all for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to end our time today by giving you and I a challenge to do the same. Hear me. We only get one shot at this. We only get one shot at life on this earth. How will you live your life? How will you live your life? On a tablet in a church of Algiers is the name of Devereux Spratt, 1641. The traveler inquires what that means, and he's told that Devereux Spratt, an Englishman, was captured with 120 others in 1641 by Algerian pirates. He was put to work with his fellow slaves on the fortifications around Algiers. Cut off from pleasant company, he consistently looked to God for sympathy and strength, and God's grace proved, as always, sufficient. Finding his fellow captives full of despair, he began to cheer them with words of faith and hope, and soon he had gathered about him through his faithful testimony a little band of praying and worshiping Christians. Through the influence of his brother in England, after several years, Devereux Spratt was ransomed, and the ardor for his release was brought to the fortifications. His fellow captives rejoiced with tears at his good fortune, but expressed regret that their leader was to leave them. However, Devereux Spratt refused to accept the ransom, and he remained until he died a slave among slaves, that he might continue to comfort those whom God had brought to Christ through him. Devereux Spratt got it. Devereux Spratt understood what life in Christ was really supposed to look like. Our passage today provides two other examples of people who made personal sacrifices for the advancement of the gospel, personal sacrifices for the benefit of others outside of themselves. Our first example is a young man named Peter, or excuse me, Timothy. 
young man named Timothy that Paul says has a kindred spirit to him. So let's pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Are you there? I'm reading out of the ESV, so it might look a little different than yours if you've got a a different version than the ESV. Paul writes this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the Father, he has served me in the gospel. Let me stop right there because this is an important point. I'm going to come back to it, but I want to make it. Paul didn't say here that Timothy served him personally. He didn't say that, although he did. Timothy's focus for serving was the gospel. And so Paul says here, he says, he served with me in the gospel. Everybody say, in the gospel. Right, I just want to make sure you're listening to me. Verse 23, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So here's the thing. Paul starts off this verse or this, this passage saying, I want to send Timothy to you. Now, the church in Philippi knew who Timothy was. They, they knew that he was a person of good character. And they knew that, that he had been a blessing to Paul, and he had also been a blessing to the church in Philippi. So why would Paul want to send Timothy back to the church? Well, there are several reasons, and Paul lists them right here in this passage. The first one is this, is that Timothy would provide a trustworthy assessment. See, see, Paul says, I'm encouraged to send Timothy back to you because I know that he's going to bring me an encouraging report that's going to be accurate and it's going to be trustworthy in his assessment of how you're actually doing. That's one. Another reason he wants to send Timothy, I think this is awesome, he says, because there's no one else like him. Timothy's a, a kindred spirit. That expression here that there's, there's no one like him literally means in the Greek, like-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D. In other words, there's, a, there's, there's something similar in compound and composition about these two men. They're knitted together. They're like-minded. It really refers back to the second verse of this chapter where Paul is instructing the church, and he says, listen, he says, if, if you really want to make my joy complete, I want you to do this. I want you to be like-minded. Have the same mind. And so this, this term here implies that Timothy had the same love for the Philippian church as Paul did, kindred spirits. Paul tells, us, tells the church in Philippi, I can be confident in sending Timothy he says the same thing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, listen, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Watch this now. This is powerful. Who will remind you 
of my ways in Christ. Looking at Timothy is going to be like looking at me. Why? Because Timothy shared the same spirit, the same kindred spirit that Paul had with Jesus and that he had with Paul. So Paul says this. He says he seeks the ways of Jesus. He has the same mind of Christ. How do we know this? Because he's not like the others, Paul says. He, he's not seeking his own interest like the others. They're seeking their own self-interest, not, not Timothy. He's not concerned about himself. He's selfless. No, instead, he's genuinely concerned for you. He's concerned about you. That's the mind of Christ. You see, Timothy was the physical expression of Paul's faith in Jesus Christ. He's an imitator of Paul's faith in Jesus Christ on display as he became an example for Timothy to follow. Paul's life Paul's life was an expression of Jesus himself. And Jesus was the manifest expression of the will of his Father. It's perpetual. That's the way the gospel is supposed to be. Let me give you a practical illustration of how, how powerful and how important this is. All right? I need three volunteers. All right, nobody come. I'm just going to pick somebody. Come on up. Come on, you. you this, our visitor is going to, you come on, girl. And Dante, oh, come on up, brother. Okay, so here's what I need, for, here's what, here's what I need you to do. I need you to stand like single file right here like this, right? About arms length apart like this here. All right, that's good. That's good right there. That's good. That's good. Now, now this is a test. All right. Now, for sake of illustration, for sake of illustration, everybody say for sake of illustration. All right. So now for sake of illustration, I'm going to be God. All right. Now, because I, I said sake of illustration, I want you guys walking out of the pastor said he was God. All right. That, uh, this, for sake of illustration. All right. Now, I'm going to be God. All right. You, for sake of illustration, are going to be Jesus. All right? Uh, you're going to be Paul. We would call you Paula, but, but you're going to be Paul, all right? And you're going to be Timothy. All right? So here's what happens. Here's how the gospel is supposed to be perpetual, you all. God sets the pattern. He speaks his will to Jesus and sends Jesus down here to be the pattern for us. All right? So here's the pattern. Here's the pattern that Paul, that, 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 that God sets for, for Jesus, all right? You ready? You got to do this. You got to be able to do this, all right? It's, it's Paul, God, God does this. God says, okay, now here's the pattern that I want you to follow, Jesus. Simple. I just want you to rock like this. Come on. You got to go. Come on. You gotta, there you go. There you go. There you go. Now, Jesus, I want you to clap. Yeah. All right, now, now, Jesus, I want you to turn to Paul, and I want you to tell Paul to do the same thing. Come on, Paul. You got to do it, Paul. 
all right, all right, all right. Now, Paul, I want you to turn to Timothy, and I want you to perpetuate this thing with Timothy. Come on. Now, look at the whole world. Now, I know you guys want to go, oh, yeah, baby, yeah, <laughs> right? So, so now, you keep going, keep going. Now, now God, can just, God can just step back, and he can do like he did in the beginning. He can go, oh, that's good. Look at them. That's good. They're doing things exactly the way that I told them to do it. That's good right there, you guys. Thank you very much. Just give them a hand. You see, you see, God sets the pattern. He shows us what to do. The problem that Paul was having in the Philippian church was that there are others that want to do their own thing. They didn't want to do and follow the pattern that Jesus had set. And Paul said, listen, that's why I want to send you Timothy, because Timothy has a proven record. He's got a proven track record of faithfulness to me. That term, proven Worth is the same term that's used for, for testing precious metal or coins to prove their genuineness. He said, man, he said, Timothy is genuine. He's, can be, he can be trusted. And then Paul said, he's a true partner with me in the gospel. In the gospel. He serves me in the gospel. And not only that, but he's willing to serve Whenever and wherever he's needed. That's what verse 23 says. Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how it will go with me. Implicit in that statement is, is two things. First, Paul knew that he was probably close to the end of his life. And he was going to go on trial, and he didn't know what the outcome of that trial was going to be. So he says, as soon as I know whether I'll live or die, I want to send Timothy to you. But the implicit in that statement is something else. And that is Paul needed Timothy's assistance. He had his own needs that, 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 that Timothy was helping to, to take care of while he was there. He needed Timothy's companionship, especially through this difficult time, because if he was going to be sacrificed, just like Jesus, he wanted to have someone close to him to be his companion. And yet, in spite of his own needs, Paul prefers to send Timothy to Philippi. D.A. Carson says this. He says, emulate those who are interested in the well-being of others, not their own. Be on alert for Christians who really do exemplify this basic Christian attitude, this habit of helpfulness. They are the kind who are consistently seeking to do good spiritually, to do good materially, to do good emotionally. They are committed to the well-being of others. That sounds like Timothy. And so I have a question for you today. In whose life are you a Timothy? In whose life are... Are you making yourself available like a Timothy?
Who have you looked out and saw that, that, that they have a life worth imitating and you're following the Christ in them just like Timothy followed the Christ in Paul? Who is that for you? Who are you serving like Timothy served Paul as a son of the faith in the work of the gospel? Who is that? So our first example is Timothy. Our second example is Epaphroditus, a faithful friend. This, this, this passage is pretty interesting because, because in verse 25, it says that Paul wanted to send Timothy, but he found it necessary to send Epaphroditus. Look at the difference. Verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and messenger, and minister to my need. Faithful friend. Great value to Paul and the Philippian church. He says, I feel it necessary to send him back to you. I, I don't recall any passage of Scripture where Paul is this descriptive about someone this close to him. Not with Barnabas, not with Silas, not with any of his other companions. Look at what he says about this brother. He says, he says Epaphroditus is my brother, which means he's, I have a relationship with him. That word brother literally means that they're from the same womb. They, they share a common level. And so here's what Paul was saying. Paul is putting Epaphroditus on a common level with himself as being a humble servant, obedient to follow Jesus Christ with all of his heart. He's saying this man loves Jesus and he's my brother. It's powerful. He says he's a fellow worker, which means he's reliable. He's trustworthy. He's an assistant to me, working side by side with me. He's dependable. He's reliable. He says he's a, he's a fellow soldier, which means he's resolute. He's joining the struggle with me, and he's, he is committed to be in this struggle with me to the very end. He refuses to give up, caring for the needs of others at the expense of his own health. Paul says he's a messenger. He's responsible. That word messenger is usually translated apostle or ambassador on commission. And so what Paul is essentially saying is that, is that the work of, of a messenger that, that, that was performed by Epaphroditus as he was bringing the news back and forth from the church in Philippi back to Paul, he says his duties as a messenger was performed with the dignity of an ambassador. Wow. And he says he's a minister to my needs. That word minister translated in the Greek is used to describe the ritualistic services that the Levitical priests performed in the, in the Jewish temples. And so essentially Paul is describing Epaphroditus as, as someone that has ministered to him with the same kind of sacredness that the, that the Levitical priests ministered with in the Jewish temple. 
Man, you guys getting a picture of this, brother? But then yet Paul says, it's necessary that I send him back to you. Why? Verse 26 and following, I think, tells us. Verse 26 says, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, and I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you might rejoice at seeing him again, and that I might, I may be less anxious. So what's he saying? He's saying, man, listen, Epaphroditus is homesick. He wants to go home. He's restless to get home. He's restless to get back to you. Why? Because he knows the church recognized that he was sick to the point of death, and he knew that the church was concerned about how he was doing. And so Paul thought it was necessary to send Epaphroditus back to show the physical proof of God's delivering grace and healing power in the life of this brother. Paul says, I want to. I want to send him back to you. God has mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me too, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, he said, man, I don't know what I would do if God took this brother away from me. Can you imagine having that kind of friend? Can you imagine being that kind of friend? Last Sunday night, I got a, a, a phone call from my mom. She lives in Fairbanks. And um, she was telling me that Bishop Williams, who is 94 years old, was sick and in the hospital. And it wasn't looking good at all. And my dad has, has been close friends with Bishop Williams for many, many, many years. As a matter of fact, they're really kind of like two peas in a pod, man. They, they talk like, they look like, they dress like. I mean, they, they are really good, close friends. And, and so when I left a message for my dad, he didn't call me back for a while, so I was concerned about what might be going on. And later on that evening, my dad called me, and I could hear the angst in his voice. He said, man, I'm here. Bishop's not doing good at all. He said, man, something's going on with his stomach, and he's, 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 he's in pain. I can can tell that he's in pain. Here's a man that served Jesus, been living for Jesus for over 60 years of faithful service. Friends with my dad for probably 30 plus years. And I could, I could just hear my dad's anguish. And so I said, Dad, I'll come over and I'll see you. He said, tomorrow will be a good time. And so I planned to go over there the next day. And so the next day I did, I, I go over to, to Bishop's house, and, and I walk in the front door, and I'm sitting down, and I'm having this conversation with my dad. I'm going to tell you something, man, my dad and I are good friends. It's really cool. And so I found myself lost in conversation with my dad. We're laughing and, and reminiscing and talking and, and talking about what it looks like to be a pastor and all those things. And, uh, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, okay, I've got an appointment, so I've got to cancel this appointment because I'm, I just want to hang out with my dad. And I haven't even seen Bishop yet. And so, and so my dad says, well, let's go back and see Bishop. 
Now, there was a whole bunch of cars in the parking lot. And I'm telling you, I'm playing movies in my head. I'm not hearing the voices in the back of the room. And so I said, okay, Dad, let me go and get my, my phone so I can make this phone call and clear my calendar a bit. So I do. I go out to my car and get my, get my phone. I make the call. I go back in. And my dad's already in the back room. So now I'm walking that that hall. And you know how it is when you're anticipating seeing something. You don't know what you're going to see. You know, here's a man 94 years old and he's sick. And so you're walking down there and you, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm preparing to, you know, maybe possibly say my goodbyes. I walk in the room and Bishop Williams is sitting fully dressed on the couch laughing and having fun with my dad. And he looks and he sees me and goes, oh, hey, boy. I said, hey. I thought you were sick. He said, I was sick, but the saints, saints been praying. I don't know, man, if I'm 94, I don't know if I want y'all praying for me, all right? Let the brother go. He said, listen, man, the saints have been praying. He says, I feel good. And so I turned to my dad. I said, Dad, I said, man, it looks like you might be able to go home tonight. Bishop said, no, he ain't. He ain't going home not tonight. He's got to stay another night. Listen, I'm, I'm almost convinced that Bishop just wanted to see my dad. Because they have a close friendship, a close companionship, man. I believe that's kind of the tenor of what, what Paul was, was writing to the church in Philippi. And he's like, listen, I know that you have angst about, about the health of Epaphroditus. I want to send him back to you so you can see how he's doing. Then he says this in verse 29. He says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And Jose, you can bring your team up. So here's the big idea of this passage. Bishop Williams is 94 years old. Still a living example. But he doesn't have too many more years. Devereaux's Spratt story was written over 400 years ago and is still speaking the legacy that he left behind, selfless sacrifice. Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, over 2,000 years ago, these men's lives became an example of unselfish, sacrificial service to others for the sake of the gospel. So now here's the challenge. To us today as a church family. Will we be living examples of Jesus Christ? Will you and I be living examples of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because family, I tell you, if we are going to live life in Christ, it is a call for us to live selfish, sacrificial lives for the sake of advancing the gospel and for the benefit of those who are lost. So I want you to ask yourself three questions today. We're going to put them on the screen. 
Do we properly model a life of servitude and concern for the advancement of the gospel? And then I want you to personalize it. Do I? Second, do we model it for our children so that they would do well to imitate our example? And then I want you to personalize it. Do I? You guys can play. And then third, is your concern for the spiritual condition of others great enough to sacrifice everything to try to meet their needs? I only have one life to live. You and you and you and you and you and all of you, each of you, my brothers and sisters, only have one life to live. The question is, how will we live it? Why don't you stand with me? I take nothing for granted. You might be here right now. Every eye closed, if you will. Every head bowed. No one walking. No one talking unless you absolutely have to. You might be here, and, and you may not have ever embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I don't want to take for granted that everyone in here is a follower of Jesus Christ. Today is your day. You can know what it's like to be in deep, intimate relationship with the Father who loves you like nobody's business. It's available to you today. You don't have to walk out of here outside of relationship with the Father. Maybe you're here and You're saying, God, you know, I, earlier Pastor Greg asked me to search my heart, and I know that there's some things in me that prevent me from following you, following hard after you with all my heart. And today, I want to surrender those things to you. I want to lay those things down at your feet. Just as Paul said, lay aside every weight and every sin that does easily prevent me from running this race, everything that's in me. deliverance and freedom from that thing is available to you today as well. So as the worship team prays, plays, prays too, I hope. As they're playing this last song, once again, allow the Lord to speak to you in the recesses of your heart. If there is any place that you haven't invited him in, now's a good time.